This one was written about the same time as the last two stories. It is titled The Emptying of His Heart. Everyone knows that the key to storytelling resides in the dragon, or rather, snapshots of the dragon. All great tales open with tales, dragon tales. A scary dragon tale will slither trailing the rest of the dragon through a cobblestone doorway. The serpentine movement, the spiky spine, will hint at grandeur, but the full glory of the dragon will remain unseen. You might catch a glimpse of smoking nostrils, flaming ravaging woody villages, a single slit eye, but these glimpses function merely as a ruse. They are intended to deceive, to misdirect. They say, read aloud, and you shall in the end see the dragon in all its magnificence. They want the reader to slither along behind the dragon like his tail does, and she will. A reader will endure even the most egregious fuck-ups in fiction if she believes the dragon will make an appearance. The dragon draws attention away from the real story. The real story is never about the dragon, and the dragon is rarely revealed anyway. So, following the tradition of great storytelling, I begin my tale with a snapshot glimpse of the dragon's tail. The sinuous tail tapers to a pointed spade at its tip. It's adorned with bleached white bones jutting through its skin like the spine of a rocky mountain range. The scales are plated red metal. Do you see it? Good. Now, like all great stories, this story is not about the dragon. This story is never about the dragon. Unlike all great stories, however, the dragon will make its debut at the end. You will see it. You will see all of it. And one more thing. Under special circumstances, a heart can empty itself of its contents. In the medical field, this phenomenon is termed empty heart syndrome. That's a true fact. If Grangier knew that when he entered the Julian forest, he would set in motion an event that would leave him a swollen corpse rotting in the wilderness, he would have instead stayed home to finish The Hobbit, an unexpected journey. This was his fatal error. His greatest error, though, was wishing he'd see the dragon. Grangier had already endured the first two hours of the movie and was convinced he'd seen Smog. Until now, he had caught mere glimpses of him, so his mind was reeling, trying to construct the dragon in its entirety. Before he committed to finishing the movie, he slipped out of his bed in his saggy white briefs to feed the cast-iron stove fireplace bordering the wall of his cabin, but found the space where the wood should have been vacant. The cabin was poorly insulated, so he depended on the fire's warmth for comfort. Smog would have to wait. Grandier outfitted himself in ostrich-skin boots, a wine-red flannel, blue 501s, and a black stocking cap. He caught his reflection in the glass before he departed. You can't grow a beard worth a damn, but you look all right, you silver fox. The sound of his voice startled him. He could see his words fall from his lips and hang suspended in the air. He fled to his pickup. The rumbling of his Ford pickup calmed his nerves as he sped across dirt roads, winding through forests of oak, pine, and cedar. The portent of the engine's drone foretold a calamity that would strike first with the sound of those that follow, but Grandier failed to read the omen. It was hardly an omen to be read, and his mind was elsewhere. Grandier daydreamed about the last time he entered the forest, how he saw her there in the distance, her form a shadow of itself set amongst the looming woodland. She was slender with broad shoulders and long legs. Her eyes were black coals. Her hair was a forest ablaze. She was naked, so he draped his poncho over his shoulders. Face to face, he paused there with his arms and poncho encircling her. She shook her head with lips pursed, planted a single kiss on his cheek, and darted into the deep with his poncho. As she fled, Grandier saw that she had tattooed on her a dragon's tail wrapping around her leg.
He chased after her, but never found her. He always chased the dragon. For weeks, Grandier watched the fire in his cabin and imagined her imagining him. She, in Grandier's mind, would lie awake, forlorn in her cold dwelling, and imagine comfort in his arms. She would be disappointed that he stopped chasing her, that he gave up so soon. She would picture him returning to the forest to find her. She would grow tired of waiting and trace his tire tracks back to his cabin. In the night, she would slink into his cabin and crawl into bed with him. In Grandier's mind, she clung to him like he clung to her. He once starved himself for a week to see if he could want something more than her. He abandoned food while she devoured him. The pangs in his stomach, they were there before the hunger set in, and they never left. He suffered sleepless nights, doubled over, wrestling a ghost that never died. She almost never existed, and that made it worse. By now, he had nearly forgotten her, but the forest brought her back in a flood of longing and despair. Just as Grandier was on the verge of falling back into her, a dog appeared in the road, rescuing him from his reverie. Grandier braked and fishtailed to a halt. The dog stood stone still, eyes locked on Grandier's. In that moment, the image of that leering dog imprinted itself on his mind. She was a mutt, patterned black and white, nipples still swollen from a freshly weaned litter of pups. Her hair was short, her tail dipped in paint. Grandier gazed into her brown eyes and knew that he was beholden to her. She broke eye contact and patrolled the perimeter of his pickup, searching for a point of entry. After a couple sweeps, she fixed her attention on the passenger door. Grandier watched as she stood on her hind limbs and pawed at the window. He leaned to open the door, and she sprang into the pickup, completing three careful circles before planting herself curled up on the bench beside Grandier. Grandier rested his hand on her, and her hackles raised. "'What happened to your pups, little devil?' he said. And what are you doing all the way out here? I'm going to call you Niobe because you've been robbed of your little ones. Is that okay, Niobe? Niobe repositioned herself tighter against Grandier's thigh. That'll do for approval. Grandier directed the heater vents toward Niobe and continued winding to his destination. He was happy to have her company. For the remainder of the drive, he talked to her. He talked her through the first two hours of The Hobbit, told her that he'd restart the movie just for her, told her about the dragon. He told her about the lady who ran off with his poncho, how they might see her today if they were lucky. He told her about his loneliness, his greatest fears, the eerie groans of a settled cabin. He told her about his youth, nearly everything, and when he was done, he had tears streaming down his leathery cheeks. He wiped his cheeks with the back of his hand, and Niobe lapsed the salt from his skin. Grandier smiled and patted her head. What I like about you, Niobe, he said, is that you only got one way of being. Words can create you to be whatever you want. Absent words, all you can be is you. I'll bring you home tonight, and we're going to see ourselves a dragon. Now get with it. We've about arrived. Grandier pulled off into a forest alcove shaped by the canopies of branching oaks. Niobe refused to exit when he stepped out with his door open, but she promptly exited when he opened the passenger door. Grandier grabbed his chainsaw, a 20-inch neon green Ryobi, from the bed of his pickup and set out to find a tree with Niobe trailing close behind. I know it ain't a husky or a steel, he said, but it's all I got. It serves its purpose. Them chinks do all right sometimes. Grandier plodded a mile to the clearing where he stood when he last saw the Lady of the Woods. There he had fallen a whole plot of trees save for one mighty oak. The oak was knotted and misshapen, about four feet in diameter. It stood at nearly a hundred feet. It was easily twice Grandier's elder. Grandier leaned against the oak while sharpening his chain. 
I always sat at attention. The bond between tree and man is a strange one, he said. The tree is our kin. We fill them with the breath of life, and likewise they return it. We are in harmony with one another. Niobe's hackles were raised. She fidgeted on her haunches. Now, when man sets out to unite with machine, nature's bond is broken. The tree is our friend while it stands. But when we take arms against it, discord enters the world. When the saw tears into the trunk, the tree becomes unbeholden to me. Be alert, Niobe. Watch for the fall. The chain sharpened. Grandier pulled back on the starter rope, and the saw roared to life. The noise that then erupted resonated through Grandier's entire being. It had been building in him since his conception, a faint buzzing, hardly detectable. Now it was reaching its crescendo. It wasn't the buzz of the saw that ushered in his fate. It was the sound foretold by his droning engine. It was the drone of the hundreds of wasps nesting in the great oak stirred to a frenzy by the chainsaw's violence. Grandier had scarcely began his cut when the first wasp spun the naked skin of his neck. Here began the prelude to anaphylactic shock. The onset for the fatal allergic reaction has a 5-30 to 30 minute delay from the time of venom injection. Grandier knew this. When the first stinger broke skin, he entered a suspended state. 5-30 to 30 minutes. 30 minutes would buy enough time to reach the EpiPen in the glove compartment of his pickup. 5 minutes would buy enough time to die groveling in the dirt. Grandier ran, and as he ran, he became more swarmed than man. The wasps enveloped him. He was a teeming black cloud churning wildly in the forest. Fixing that the wasps were attracted to the sound of the saw, he threw it aside and pulled his stocking cap over his face, trapping wasps between the fabric and his flesh. They stung his face, but the fabric barred the remaining swarm from stinging him. Running still, he mashed the wasp against his face, his shoulders bouncing off trees as he navigated the dense forest through the interstices of his black cap. The trees strobed past like a low frame rate silent film. His swelling flesh burned beneath his mask, so he stripped it from himself. He felt a tightness in his throat restricting airflow. The trees were refusing him the breath of life. Shafts of light strobing, silhouettes flickering. Grandier recalled watching home movies on his grandpa's 8mm film projector. He didn't recall the moving pictures on screen, but rather the soft glow illuminating a family united, like there was no world outside of that room. He felt the sinking feeling in the center of the couch with bodies pressed up either side of him. He felt the warmth of a shared experience. He felt the burden of the space left by loneliness filled. Rangier stumbled through the passenger door of his pickup, left open from when he unloaded Niobe. He snatched the EpiPen from his glove compartment spun out of the opening, and fell back against the pickup. When he saw her there, he slid to the ground, legs splayed out before him. Niobe dragged her bulging body to Grandier's side. A swollen mass, she hardly resembled her former self. EpiPen in hand, Grandier rested his arm atop her. His life didn't flash before his eyes. It swelled in him with sensations lost on words and images. It wasn't the feeling of coming home. It was the pressure of a universe compressed into a little ball in his chest, gravity pushing outward. It was the emptying of his heart. He weighed their lives for the space of time tantamount to opening a passenger side door and plunged the EpiPen in Niobe's chest. Just then, he lost all motor function, but while his body shut down, his vision remained. Flash and standing before him was the Lady of the Woods. She freed herself of Grandier's poncho and naked, she floated weightlessly to Niobe. She brushed aside Grandier's limp limb and swept Niobe up in the poncho. 
She knelt beside Grandier and peered into his swollen, desperate eyes. I've missed you all my life, he would have said if he were able to speak. His vision pulsed. The whole scene blurred around her figure sharply outlined. As she departed forever from Grandier, he saw a dual rift in her back, wings sprouting from her shoulder blades. He saw her tattoo raised from her skin, reified in a fleshy, serpentine tail. He saw her skin turn to scales, her neck elongate, her spine split the center of her back. She looked back over her shoulder. Her eyes were coal, her hair a forest ablaze. Grandier's eyes closed. Alas, he had seen the dragon.